here's Johnny. I'll be back. And you will know my name is the Lord. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Box Office Pulp, your one-stop podcast for movies, madness, moxie, and tonight, Marvel Studios' Infinity Saga Closer, Avengers Endgame. I'm your host, Cody, and joining me tonight are my co-host, Mike. Say hello, Mike. I wish I had a flying horse. Don't we all? And Jamie. Say hello, Jamie. Personally, I'm outraged that we did not get an after credit scene where Thor got the cable guy to come out and give him back his goddamn Cinemax. That'll be Who the next Marvel one-shot. Okay, what cable does New Asgard have? Do they have, like, their own company, or is it, like, Time Warner? Comcast. They're, they're Asgardians. They have to have some cable technology. Oh, do you think that that's what they're doing with uh, Heimdall's sword? Like, like, put they smash it down, and everyone has cable? He's too dead to use it. Uh, that makes a certain amount of sense. I'll go with it. I so, like when people are too dead to use things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does that, that implies that there's a level of dead where you are still pretty good at things. This is Princess Bride logic. There are layers to dead. There's mostly dead. There's really dead. There's Heimdall dead. There's Loki dead. There, there's 15 different deads, I'm going to say. There's Spider-Man dead. Uh, dead inside where you still go to work every day and cash a paycheck, but there's no purpose to you being alive. A lot of different deads. Which is a great note to start this commentary on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's appropriate. See, see, what do we do now? In my mind, there's so many different places to start when it comes to Endgame. Uh, I mean, do you do you want to talk about the bananas? One point two billion dollar five day haul. That's one start. I mean, that's astronomical. Or do you touch on the unique cultural place this film occupies, being the twenty second film in a series that's run for eleven whole years? That's cool, too, but in my mind, there's only one real place to start, start any discussion on Endgame. And that point is the first wave of Lego sets. Now, I'm, I'm sure fans are, are aware... Good night, everybody. Point, it's been uh, nice having you. It's been box office fault. Get the hell out of here. In, in the first wave, uh, first Captain America, Outriders Attack. Completely inaccurate. Captain America at no point hopped on a colossal motorcycle with space cannons to kill space dogs. Didn't Not part of the movie. Totally inaccurate. Uh, then there was War Machine Buster. Now, it can be said that War Machine donned a bulkier super suit in this film, but it was not Hulkbuster's size. And I was very the- disappointed about that. I was looking yeah. forward to War Machine Buster. They led me astray. I don't know what uh, he'd be busting, but, you know, still. <laughs> right. He just decides to kick the Hulk's ass. I liked you better no. when you were dumb. Uh, there was the Iron Man Hall of Armor, which is a very cool set, but misleading because the Avengers never used time travel to go back to Tony's Malibu house circa Iron Man 3. I was under the cabin. We, we just transported wholesale. We did get to see, uh, not see, we did get a whole set of Iron Man suits, though, so that's pretty dope. I'll, I'll live with it. Uh, there was the Ultimate Quinjet set. Very frustrating because the Quinjet is in this film for all of like five seconds. Uh, it also portrays Hawkeye driving around a stupid little tricycle during the Battle of New York. Uh, just <laughs> road running Shatari soldiers. Didn't happen. Uh, I had my hopes up. Did not happen. And lastly, probably the most accurate set was the Avengers compound battle, which very true. There was a battle near a compound 
Uh, there was not a helicopter in the fight, though. This this raised my hopes that we could see a Thanos copter reference, but no, none of that. So, man, I mean, if if I have to score this first wave of sets, I, I gotta give this like maybe a two. It's deeply upsetting. I, I can only hope they did this to avoid spoilers for the fans. But uh, we'll have to wait and see for wave two what happens next. I will say, when it t- comes to misleading Legos, nothing will ever top. Ben Kingsley as Lego <laughs> Mandarin and his gigantic Grievous mobile. With the flamethrower neck. <laughs> like, I like Iron Man 3, but where the hell is that movie? I like to think it was real at some point because they, they don't just make up the Lego sets. They normally take it from some early piece of concept art that maybe just didn't make it into the film. I imagine they looked at the script Iron Man 3 and it's like, no, we're, none of this is toyetic. <laughs> I would have killed for a Lego set of Riggs and Murtaugh, Tony and Rudy, just <laughs> leaning up against a shipping crate with guns pulled. What kid doesn't want a Lego set where Tony has tiny Christmas decorations that can explode? They have stud shooters for that. It'd be perfect. Anyway, so if you're, if you're looking for any modicum of accuracy from Lego in regards to Endgame, you're going to leave disappointed. So, real shame. End of the episode. I have no actual thoughts on the movie itself. Good night, everyone. And like that, he's gone. Uh, boy, howdy. Avengers <laughs> Angel. What a, what a film. <laughs> Our summation of everywhere we've been up until this point on Box Office Pulp. Ooh, that's a doozy, isn't it? Boy, uh, howdy. That might be the best way to describe it in my mind. I left that theater, and I, I think the first thing I said to the group was, that was a very big movie. And I, I stand by that. It feels like a very, very big, big uh, film. I stole it and just said the same thing because what the fuck else do you say? And then I saw it like an hour or two after Mike and said the same thing. Not as a callback, because, but because, no, I got it at that point. That's all you can say about it. <laughs> it's that is a big movie. It is a Everything. whole lot of movie. And the amazing part to me is... We have this film that's got to do a certain number of things. Like, we all expect by the end of it, the old guard is going to be gone. We're not going to have Tony anymore. We're not going to have Captain America. They're going to have to put the new members into a position of power. They've got to undo the snap. You have an idea of the things they have to go through. And yet, there's a surprising number of left turns throughout this film. Like, Thanos pretty much gets wiped out immediately. Uh, they jump forward five years and then decide they can't reverse those five years. So the Marvel universe is just all sorts of fucked up right now. They decide to spend a considerable portion of the movie in Thor two, one of the least liked Thor movies or at least like Marvel movies. There's professor Hulk who just shows up. He doesn't really get turned into professor Hulk. He's just that now captain Marvel has a tiny role. Uh, Gamora and vision are just forever dead. Loki is alive in a new timeline. So we all thought he would come back. I think, but not necessarily as like an alternate dimension Doc Brown character. The Ancient One pops up. Uh, Thor joins the Guardians of the Galaxy. Boy, I didn't expect any of that, honestly. That, that was all very, very surprising to me. And let us not forget the most important thing in this film. Awkward Red Skull. <laughs> just oh, hang I, I see you. I see you guys are, are having a bit of a thing. I'll just float over here until one of you is ready to die. <laughs> I, I can't leave I until you care. decide. Uh, you're really taking up my time. It's really weird to think that 
as that entire back and forth, like that action scene between uh, Black Widow and Hawkeye was going on, Red Skull was just watching. Like, do you think he was rooting for one over the other? Sitting there with cosmic popcorn. He just um, had to be like, <laughs> I can't believe I was racist once. Fucking white people. <laughs> As many people say in response to Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> See, it's a good thing Scarlett Johansson actually dyed her hair blonde and then let it grow back out. So when she made this move, Red Skull wouldn't be like, ah, a blonde Aryan woman. Yes. Win the battle <laughs> for the stone. It was Meanwhile, a long he's like, time. I'm conflicted because on the other hand, I really like his haircut. <laughs> Do the kids on Earth still say, on fleek? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, Ripple still, like, has the internet, but because of, it's like the uh, radio waves only hitting uh, outer space hundreds of years later. <laughs> like, oh, tell me, do people still say, did I do that? I don't like the idea of the Red Skull uh, just taking over Urkel culture. (laughs) Urkel culture. I just want to know one goddamn thing. Does he have legs? (laughs) I don't think he knows. Uh, I think he's just a Red Skull now. It's kind of beautiful. There's a lot of questions about the Red Skull. I I think they need to go into a spinoff movie just for the Red Skull and his shitty day job. It's sad. (laughs) It's so sad on our parts that... We Red Skull came back in Infinity War. Next movie, we still cannot fucking stop talking about <laughs> anything else but the Red Skull. It seems to have been put in that movie to amuse us, and for no other reason. <laughs> just, I have so many questions about the logistics of that job. Who's keeping him there? Can he that... can he go when he wants to? Why did he get brought there in the first place? Is this like the Santa Claus? Did the original Guardian of Ormir fall off that mountain by mistake, and now the Red Skull's got to take over the suit? Hey, big fella. Oh, no. <laughs> like he's got the business card that just says, well, you killed Santa. I guess you're the new cosmic uh, stone watcher. Good luck. Enjoy. That, that's, that's why Galactus doesn't exist in this universe. <laughs> like he just tripped over and broke his neck on a planet. <laughs> I think the worst part is Skull keeps thinking he can leave, and then people time displaced keep bringing the fucking stone back. And so as he's like halfway out the door with his bags and shits, his legs, I assume, and he has to turn around and go back to work. He had those packed first. And he's like, ah, oh, god damn it. Why? Why always the legs last? Steve? God, he's like Tantalus, but a Nazi. I, I saw someone mention that online. Just imagine if they'd broken up the teams differently and Steve Rogers was the one who had to go get the Soul Stone and just, the Red Skull, look out! And then instead of finding out, he has to throw someone off that cliff to get his stone. He just beats the Red Skull's cosmic soul into death. What's weird is he throws Red Skull off and gets the Soul Stone, which would imply <laughs> that Steve loved the Red Skull. He loved to hate. <laughs> It'd be like if Homer ever lost Flanders. That whole relationship defines Homer. Well, after uh, Red Skull's wife died, uh, Steve did tuck him into bed and kiss him on the forehead in a disarmingly wonderful scene. All right, if I can keep referencing The Simpsons, I'm pretty sure kissing the Red Skull is like that moment where Homer kisses Mole Man, and he's just like, mmm, tastes like peanuts. (laughs) I'm going to be honest, I think Red Skull's face would be delicious. (laughs) He's not made of pepperoni, Mike. I will have you know. But he looks like he he is. Gee, I always thought maybe like one of those red lollipops, like a glazed sugary kind of thing. I really hope Marcus and McFeely have 
like a Reddit AMA sometime soon, so we can ask these questions. Does he taste like a ring pop? <laughs> Tell us the truth about the Red Skull's taste. Guys, which, guys, we know as much as you do. And which We're, Red we've Skull been asking tastes these questions better? All the time. <laughs> I want to know, do, do, does Weaving Red Skull taste better than a fascist Italian Red Skull from the 90s movie? Each one has a unique flavor. It's like collecting candles. See, 90s Red Skull, that one's, that one's hard candy. <laughs> yeah, very much so. God, could you imagine that Red Skull being the Watcher of the Stone? Just with all that weird clay on his face? <laughs> I think uh, Weaving Red Skull's chewy. Very much so, yeah. He's, it, that, that makeup has a lot of elasticity to it. I've always noticed We that. should talk about the movie at some point, right? Yeah, I'm actually... No, this, we are talking now. about the movie. This is the movie. <laughs> this is the Red Skull's last hurrah. I'm pushing him <laughs> off of the cliff. Schmidt's so big here's, adventure. here's a weird thing for me. My audience was, obviously, I, I saw it on Thursday, super into the film. I mean, that's to be expected. It's opening day. Uh, but somehow they missed the Stan Lee cameo. There were like five people who laughed, and then everyone else was just like, oh. Really? Yeah, military bases. Weird. Mine got cheers. Same. Yeah. My audience cheered for a lot of stuff. They like stood and clapped at the end of the movie, but they did not catch Stan Lee. I thought I was going crazy because I'm like, guys, that was clearly sti- – no? No one else? Okay, I'm imagining shit. <laughs> There's just so much going on in that movie. They were blindsided. <laughs> he drove a car with a sticker that said enough said while dressed <laughs> as 70 Stan Lee from that one photo you know the one I know I was such the a nice greatest touch. deep cut ever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad that if we had to have a final Stan Lee cameo it was that one being a damn dirty hippie <laughs> weird time displaced Stan Lee and his sexy Stan Lee posing on that with goddamn <laughs> <laughs> so my audience missed that but boy they were they were an interesting crowd to watch the rest with uh, i went to the bathroom an hour and a half in just to kind of be like i don't care about what the internet says on when you're supposed to pee i'll make my own rules <laughs> for people watching this like 10 years from now it was a thing people wrote to think pieces about peeing during guardian or not guardians i'm sorry uh, avengers and it's three hours long will you be able to make it through the whole film When's the best time to go? Here are some quiet points. People are really forgot, desperate for clicks. <laughs> we all forgot that we all sat through The Return of the King just fine. I don't... Uh, I, I sat through record, Return of the King after I had to pee ten minutes into that motherfucker. That's, that was my experience with King Kong. Ooh, the, the, the ten endings to Return of the King almost killed me. Like I was sitting there like, I gotta go. I was with a buddy who couldn't take it, so he got up during one of the endings and pushed an old lady to get in front of her <laughs> and ran out of the theater to go to the bathroom, came back, and they were still showing endings, and I still had to pee. <laughs> I wonder how much, uh, how many urinary tract infections were caused by the career of Peter Jackson. An ungodly amount. And, and uh, uh, boy, Avengers is just going to make it even worse. So, back to my story about peeing during the movie. I got up, go to the bathroom. I'm washing my hands, and four other people run into the theater. <laughs> Full-grown men, and I got, like... They didn't see me, I guess, because they were heads down charging like rhinos. And I got bumped back into the garbage and hand dryers, and it was very close. Uh, I, I, I could have died not knowing the second half of Avengers because people had to piss that bad. <laughs> oh, the, I, I had a semi-similar experience. When we were uh, standing in line, uh, waiting to be lift, let into the theater... 
there was like a little eight year old boy uh, who ran away from his parents to go get popcorn and a drink in the lobby. We start moving, and I suddenly hear, no! <laughs> and he starts running towards us, pumping his tiny little legs, holding popcorn and a gigantic big gulp as big as he was. <laughs> and his family never saw him again. What's funny is his parents were there. They just said, come on, while going into the theater, because fuck, they weren't going to give up their seat <laughs> just to make sure their kid wasn't abducted. <laughs> Do you guys have assigned seating, or was this a free-for-all? Oh, it was a free-for-all. Uh, then I understand why they abandoned the child. Oh, what's really fucked up is I noticed I had to pee during the trailers, left, came back, and someone had taken my seat. Wow. The theater was already at full capacity, so I think somebody was, like, waiting behind a seat How'd you get your so they could back? scout me. I didn't. Oh. Wait, I just had to find, like, the one remaining seat that was just by some old man who uh, had his shit on top of it. I, I was just assuming you were standing in the back of the theater the whole time like an usher. <sighs> you camped out. Uh, That's the real way to watch Endgame. During my screening, the woman next to me, uh, she was there with her whole family. And pretty early into the movie, like, I would say 30 minutes in, she put the recliner down, scooted her way to the edge of her seat, and then perched there for 20 minutes. Which, like, I, I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, just go, lady. Just go. It's the first hour. Of the Just go. Just leave. Go. And I could see her at the corner of my eye just perched at the edge of her seat like a bird waiting to take flight. And it gave me, like, some sort of social anxiety where I was just sitting there like, go. go now. Why are you there? Go. What are you? Sit back in your chair, woman. And it was freaking me out. When she finally left her the bathroom, I felt like I just relieved myself. I think the moral of the story here is when you got to go, you got to go. Just don't hold on to your regrets. Let it fly. Go to the bathroom. It's okay. I had a lovely time. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I mean, after after the urination issues were dealt with in the first hour and a half of the film, the audience was uh, really clicking. Uh, at the end, when Black Panther came out, uh, the theater lost its shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I think that was universal. Except uh, when they cheered when Spider-Man showed up, too, and I stood up yes. and booed. <laughs> Good. Boo uh, this man! Boo Peter Parker. <laughs> uh, no, Spider-Man fucking hated Thanos, and I loved it so much. It's just <laughs> surreal. It's like, they were so happy when he finally died twice. Oh, my theater was so quiet, you could hear a pin drop when Thanos was dusted. And then a dude in, like, the second row pumped his fist and said... Finally! And everyone's like, yeah! <laughs> I, had, I had one uh, louder guy in the middle of the theater when Thanos was dusting, his face fell off, just did a, yeah, yeah! Like, it was, it was almost like a, my man, kind of Aquaman voice. <laughs> and that's when the theater knew it was okay to cheer. Well, the uh, Russos they were, cruelly, they the Russos cruelly denied us triumphant Drax laughter in the finale, so we had to make up for it. It's true. Uh, I had a great and, moment where when Thanos got his Pym particles so he could travel through time, a sentence I was able to just say. Um, I saw one of my theory went, no! <laughs> oh, fucking my theater went nuts when Hawkeye's family died. I have never heard so many teenage girls go, oh, that was his family! <laughs> my theater was, he was horrified. He actually adopting a family. It's fine. He didn't know them. 
That's the way you got to see Endgame with the fucking vocal. This is totally a watershed moments of this generation in cinema. You got to see oh, yeah, with that kind of with, audience. Yeah, especially yeah. with teens. You know, this is being imprinted onto their brains forever. That's magical. Oh, when like, Spider-Man popped back up on screen, there was a little kid in the front row, probably like six years old or something, who just started screaming, Spider-Man's back! Spider-Man's alive! And he was like just losing his shit, and his dad like humored him for a minute, and he's like, buddy, you got it. Shh, buddy, shh. <laughs> the kid like couldn't concentrate. He's just like, oh, thank fucking God, Peter Parker's not dead anymore. I can be happy again. That was a long year, father. Then Iron Man died five minutes later. Yeah, that probably evened things out. Like I was telling uh, Mike and MB, uh, like when I walked out, one of the most surreal moments in my life was watching my theater erupt into cheers and applause. The, of all the eruptions, the, this was the biggest one over Cap being worthy of Thor's hammer. Yeah, that was such a big moment. The fact, the fact that normal people appreciate why that's important blows my mind that's incredible right like that's all i could think is i'm watching all these people come in like the theater and sit down and then i'm watching them react and it was like i was it ended up being i was experiencing two different movies like i was experiencing everything through them and then experiencing the movie at the same time and i got why this is like making all of the money in the world it's just this is so much more important than just being like a fun movie or just being the culmination of the Marvel movies. This is like this is a thing right now, especially with how awful everything in real life currently is. This is how perfectly oh, yeah. timed something like Endgame is. This one is Return of the Jedi. And, one guy got up and as he's walking out of the theater, he turned around and like held his hands up like they were praying and then bowed to the screen a couple of times. <laughs> I admit, and I want the folks to know at home, I'm dead inside. So I don't believe in clapping at movies unless like the director or talent is there. Like if the editor was in the wings, then let him know he did well. I, I don't personally get it. So the whole crowd was like losing their shit. I'm like, well, that's good. They can have their fun time once. I'll allow it for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> or what even I got, even 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 i got excited when all of a sudden cap starts dual wielding uh his, his shield and thor's hammer at the same time to beat the shit out of thanos like <laughs> he called doom. lightning <laughs> and he called the hammer like he didn't just wield it he used the like he did the thor thing and reached out his arm he spotted around was... and shit <laughs> I was really expecting them to just kind of subvert that. Like, he gets the hammer, and then they pull, like, the Infinity War thing where he just gets fucking destroyed right there, turn the stone and smash into pieces. <laughs> I was still expecting this to be, like, Thanos gets the stones, destroys everyone again except for, like, Gamora, who, you know, switches it all around. I was very wrong. Uh, part of me still wants to see Thanos actually just violently annihilate all of the Avengers while toying with them. But on the other hand, getting to see Captain America just dominate the playing field like more so than anyone else really makes up for it. Don't worry, we have What If coming. I, I, I will bet money one of those season one episodes is What If Thanos won. Yeah. The second time. Like, I, I want to see animated Thanos create his new universe like Dr. Manhattan. I want to see him rip off Bucky's good arm. And then his bad arm. <laughs> and then switch him. And <laughs> Actually, yes, I do want to see this. <laughs> it would appear you're more winter than soldier now, my friend. <laughs> Look, Rabbit, he's armless. Like, armless. And then he beats uh, him to death with one of the fists. 
Oh, uh, we don't need dad joke, Thanos. <laughs> I think we do. Did you guys notice that, I, I don't know if this was an improvement in CGI over the last year, or supposed to reflect that Thanos was younger, but it looked like he had like some uh, male pattern baldness going on, he was just shaving his head occasionally. Like, he had Thanos, double. Thanos did look a little bit more detailed this time around. Which weirded me out. I don't like the idea of Thanos being able to actually grow hair. What's really fucked up is uh, when the internet re- noticed that Thanos has neatly trimmed fingernails. <laughs> I lose sleep over that. Everybody, I mean, the fucking Black Order looked better. I oh, guess yeah. just more well, time we saw to work for on like it. Three seconds, so that probably helped. <laughs> and we don't see Proxima Midnight almost a, a close up at all, which helps a lot. Yeah, everybody. I mean, we we get to see like what Obsidian calls being stepped on by Giant Man, so that's true. Ebony Maul looked great. It looked just real. And he, I mean, he looked real in Infinity War, but... I love how I, they I, gave even Maul more stuff to do because, fuck yeah, Ebony Maul. <laughs> <laughs> the, greatest, the greatest random henchman in superhero history. <laughs> I love the design of the Black Order so much. Like, they, they just... If you could get action figures of them, they'd look like the coolest thing on your desk. So I'm a little disappointed they'd never got, like, super-duper standout moments. Would have been nice. But boy, they look cool. Uh, I understand there's 10,000 other characters in the movie, so they can't dedicate time to Corvus Kulave getting his stand-up moment. <laughs> Still, a man dream. Oh, copyright-free Hobgoblin. Uh, as long as I'm getting into nitpicks, goddammit, <laughs> they killed Vision twice in one movie, and then apparently they just figured that balances out. We don't need to have him in the second movie. He died twice before. You're God getting a Vision model. TV show. You'll live. We're going to get to see Elizabeth Olsen use her mi- her loosely explained mystical powers to create morally ambiguous resurrection vision. It'll be interesting to see what they manage to do with that character now, because I doubt they'll ever give her like a solo movie. Uh, we'll get the TV show, but again, who knows how all that works with everything else. If, if Marvel's going to treat it like loose cannon or what? No, it's canon. But Feige said but, it. But in, in the film... She essentially destroys Thanos single-handedly, like when she doesn't have to use one hand to kill her boyfriend and another hand to stop Thanos. When she's not tied down, she's strong enough to basically rip Thanos apart. She only lost because Thanos decided to nuke the battlefield. So now Marvel has fully acknowledged that, yeah, if we want Scarlet Witch could be the strongest character in our universe. She's our version of the Phoenix. Yeah, that's pretty much it. She's MCU's Phoenix. Uh, and now they have uh, Scarlet Witch and Captain Marvel essentially being gods, so... <laughs> You make, like, half the universe redundant. You gotta wonder what they're gonna do with uh, Cap Marvel 2 now that Captain Marvel is strong enough to just, you know, destroy entire warships just by flying through them. She is ungodly powerful. Thanos headbutting her and nothing happening was glorious. I know. I did like the, the little detail that Thanos realized he couldn't overpower her since he couldn't close the gauntlet. So he had to rip the power stone off and just punch her in the face with that. <laughs> I love the creativity of that moment. (laughs) Wait, I've got an idea. That's such a classic Marvel, we know what the audience is thinking right now moment. Yeah. (laughs) 10,000 nerds at home who are writing angry letters like, why? And he just pull off the power. Oh my God, delete the letter. He did it. (laughs) Delete the letter. Um, That 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 fogged up my glasses. (laughs) It was little. (laughs) Well, we're just awash in Simpsons tonight. Um, (laughs) As we should be. Uh, it's the little touches like that in the fight that kept that fucking battle, which should have been a CGI fuck fest like Age of Ultron or Justice League or any, or any number of things from not like despite it being 
probably the biggest final battle, even more than Infinity War. And Infinity War got kind of CGI fuckfesty a little bit, but oh, very much. Uh, scale wise, Endgame totally trumps it, but never goes down that route. It never feels like that. Yeah, I've seen people complain about the ending. Uh, because it goes into traditional Marvel territory with all the CGI characters bouncing off each other. But I got to kind of shake my head at that one just for the fact that uh, we've we've seen plenty of giant blockbuster films that end that way, and they never elicit emotion. This one still has its character beats that are incredibly effective despite the amount of CGI painting going on around them. Yeah. And there was something that really struck me about that fight that has been one of my biggest takeaways since seeing it is Compare that fight specifically with the fight at the end of the Avengers. Now, there the fight for the third act of the Avengers is perfect. There's not really anything I would change, but it's not a fight that really has stakes. It's a victory lap yeah. more than anything else. This fight somehow manages to have all of the superheroes in an entire cinematic universe, mostly just fighting an army. And they already have the Infinity Gauntlet assembled as the thing you know they're going to use to defeat Thanos. Yet this is still moment to moment engaging because it feels like anything could happen. And throughout the entire fight, you're always thinking, how the hell are they going to get out of this? Which is a, a friggin' magic trick to pull off, especially this late in the game. Plus, they already used up one of Hulk's arms, so he, you know, he's not made of arms. Like, he hadn't worn that gauntlet all the time. <laughs> Do you think that was their way of getting rid of Mark Ruffalo for future movies? Like, Professor Hulk is just permanently disabled with one fucked up arm? Or is that going to be something they just get around? He's like, so oh, no, sad. Yeah, how sad is that? Just the Hulk with one tiny arm, like he's Chris Elliott in Scary Movie 2? Oh, that's so unsettling. <laughs> it's like, I'll have to use my strong hand. <laughs> Also, I'm just going to bring this up because I haven't heard anyone mention it, probably because it gets lost in the 10,000, oh my god, they're doing that thing moments, but Ruffalo's Hulk, as the professor, did the fucking Secret Wars thing of lifting up heavy wreckage so the Avengers may survive. (laughs) And they don't even milk it, too, it's just... If you notice it, you notice it, and that's so fucking cool. <laughs> also, R.I.P. Avengers Compound. Yes. We hardly knew you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, All those soldiers who live there. Establishing sets. Maybe if there was a cooler Lego set, I'd be into it, but there was never a good one. <laughs> of course. Uh, but I, here's the thing I'm amazed we haven't touched on yet. Fat Thor. Somehow, Marvel hid the fact that they took Hemsworth and, and made him... Fat Thor for an entire three-hour movie, and that never leaked. I'm impressed by the quality of that fat suit. That was a pretty good fat suit. An impressive fat suit. Yeah. Which turns out Hemsworth actually gained like sixty pounds, <laughs> and he was just hiding in a closet somewhere, so no one would find out. Oh, he went Daniel Day Lewis with us. It turns out he's been six hundred pounds since like Thor one. This has all been CGI. It's been a lot of CGI and a lot of like resoil paint. That was that was an interesting choice. I've seen a lot of people complaining about it online, and I've also seen other people saying like, "This is a godsend to all heavy set cosplayers." That's <laughs> it true. really yeah. is. <laughs> that is the best casual cosplay ever. Just put on a robe and grow out a beard. Just a dude perfect. Thor. Yeah, exactly. You could be the Big Lebowski for day one, and then you could be like, "I feel like being fancy. I'm going to be Thor for day two. You've got a two in one costume now. Thank you, Marvel. 
I, uh, as far as a plot point goes, I really enjoy Thor's arc. I think it's interesting, the idea of having Thor just go, I give up. After yeah, they have- all his shit he's been through. <laughs> yeah, they have Thor basically dealing with this loss, first with anger when he just destroys Thanos, and then this this deep-seated depression. Uh, you end up with Scarlet... Uh, I was going to say Scarlet Witch, but that's a bad choice. Uh, <laughs> Scarlet Johansson. There we go. Uh, kind of being just like a shut-in running the Avengers compound by herself. Steve Rogers runs a support group. Some of the other heroes are out there actually still carrying on the fight, but they seem, you know, kind of depressed about the whole thing. Hawkeye. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, Hawkeye is just now the Punisher. I'm really interested in what they did with Professor Hulk, where he's apparently living his best life now that <laughs> half the world has been destroyed. <laughs> that that was actually something Marcus and McFeely talked about. Like, that was very intentional. Like, the worst case scenario for the Hulk. Like, the worst case scenario for everyone else completely flips the script on the Hulk. Like, no, if ever, if everything else went doomsday, Hulk would just be Superman. Because his <laughs> yeah. life normally is a worst case scenario. Yeah. He's taking like selfies with, inspirational selfies with children. He's got Ben and ice cream flavors after him. Like, he has catchphrases. Yeah, he's got catchphrases. I, he probably has his own popular YouTube show where he does science and superhero antics. I'm disappointed they could not work in the fuzzy slippers. I mean, come on. It would have fit. It would have been See, nice. now I... I wanted a Hulk follow-up before, but now I desperately want one where they have Ruffalo as Professor Hulk just being a pretty good guy and also fighting (laughs) stuff. They did! Like, I understand some of the frustration of that, uh, missing out on so much with that time jump, especially for a character like Thor, but if Marvel's a little creative, they have the perfect excuse for a prequel story, because could you imagine a Hulk movie just set in those five years of Banner just experimenting with his genetic structure and creating shit like Demon Hulk and Grey Hulk out of it before he ultimately becomes the Ooh, professor. That'd be such a fun movie. We we get him going through all the different phases. He becomes Joe Fixit for a while. Yes. yes. Joins the mob. That's it. The whole Hangs movie is Patch. him just becoming perfect Hulk. <laughs> I, I would I would enjoy watching that. But uh, to go back to Thor for a moment, yeah, I feel I think this is uh, probably how a lot of people feel like. I overall like that storyline and really do think that it was correct. And also that reveal is an incredible joke. Like hats off to that. Oh, it's masterful. I do feel like my biggest gripe with the movie though, is the joke gets old a little faster than they think it does. And it's really weird when the rest of the movie is very serious yeah, as but soon the as the mission Thor's, starts. Yeah, Thor's and not an alcoholic, and that's the joke. Well, it's just weird. Like, I don't think that the jokes should have continued as soon as he goes back to Asgard. Like, it's really weird when, like, the mission begins and it's still clown shoes Thor. Yeah. I, and he still clown shoes Thor after they get back, too. And that was really not the time to be doing clown shoes Thor stuff. It, yeah, they needed to temper a lot of that. He was way too hardcore in the in the comedy realm. They even made like uh, Ragnarok Thor looked serious in comparison. I will say I did love the ten minute sequel to Ragnarok we got. Also, my audience was so happy Korg survived <laughs> <laughs> and hangs out on Earth just wearing Hawaiian shirts. It's fantastic. Korg was having a good time of it. 
who would have guessed we finally would get demon in a bottle, but it'd just be about uh, Thor being fat and drunk. And <laughs> that that'd be an a interesting joke. Take. <laughs> that'd be a joke for three hours. Just what if demon in a bottle, but it happened to a god? <laughs> so I was say, I was very impressed with Thor's final look, though, because that entire time I was thinking, how the fuck is that not going to look goofy as shit in the big, serious final battle? But the second he suits up, it's like, oh my god, it's Viking Thor. Yes, it looks so <laughs> it's cool. looking semi-like Volstag. And I, I do appreciate, even though maybe it's a little ridiculous, I do, um, I mean, a little ridiculous of how far they like, went with his, his body, I guess, but um, though I like it. Uh, I appreciate that when he powered up and put his armor on and shit and, and went serious Thor, he wasn't suddenly like super fit because of magic. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been kind of funky. The people that complain about Thor not getting fit for the final fight throw me off. Like, well, you got to accept he's, he's, he's fat now. Like, the movie takes place <laughs> over a very short amount of time after the five-year gap. Like, I'll, he's I'll not going to suddenly lose all that weight. It'd be kind of a weird, weird move around for like, and then Thor exercised for four months before <laughs> the Avengers decided to enact their plan. Oh, he has a Batman CrossFit training montage. <laughs> <laughs> Just pulling a tire. Also, <laughs> Thor's powers don't come from being buff. It's true. Also true. He could just throw lightning whenever he felt like. He's just a hot dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> See Volstag. Exactly. I miss Volstag. We all miss Volstag. I miss Ray <laughs> Stevenson being ridiculous and eating in every scene. I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm, I'm now. I'm just stuck thinking Odin was secretly Jack the whole time, and that's why he was king of Asgard. He was king <laughs> of the abs. Oh, he was like a Simpsons character. Like he rips off his shirt and he's just cut. <laughs> If you're playing a bop drinking game at home, the rules are every time we mention The Simpsons, you just have to drink an entire bottle of absinthe. Uh, so, uh, Congratulations, you're dead now. One more. Imagine a flashback scene. Hello, do we have any grease? <laughs> yes, why? <laughs> then grease me up! <laughs> and then he just... Thor is sitting there holding a genre and Stormbreaker at the same time. <laughs> He's just wrestling ice, ice giants shirtless. <laughs> Uh, but uh, going back to uh, the, the Asgard stuff, it makes a lot of sense. Like, we were talking uh, before recording about just what a what fest Thor the Dark World is and how odd it is to think that Marcus and McFeely had a hand in making that and were clearly not happy. That is never more uh, obvious than when you realize that they spend a good, what, 10, 15 minutes of screen time just giving Renee Russo an actual send-off. Yeah, that was that was nice. Having her actually have an emotional moment that carried weight. Yeah. They wanted that out of the original Thor 2. That was supposed to be her movie, and it never really sinks in the way it should. And they kind of forget about her. Thor talks about losing his family, but that's that's a huge hallmark moment for Thor right there. So retroactively, good job, Endgame. You've managed to make parts of the MCU that we forgot about or didn't like better. Good band Yeah, I, just by jumping in there. I think it, I love how it was very, also very, very important to them that Thor explain the stupid, stupid plot of Dark World while hammered. <laughs> yeah, they super made fun of Dark World in that scene. It was kind of incredible. Right down to the fact that they fucked up the Infinity Stone being a stone in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe they addressed that. There's a lot of 
stuff I never thought that was going to be referenced again that they managed to put in there. I lost my shit when Age of Ultron came up, the movie we don't talk about except for the ending. They, yeah, they mentioned that like whenever they have to be like, hey, those accords, those were, remember, remember that whole fallout? Like, one of my favorite character bits in this entire movie that I have not been able to stop thinking about since leaving the theater is that moment where Tony essentially says, if I had just made Ultron work, none of this would have happened. Yeah. Like, that was out of nowhere and does make perfect sense. Like, yeah, that, that, that's the entire reason Ultron existed, because he had a vision of something like this happening, and he fucked it up. and. That just adds to his guilt even more. That's brilliant screenwriting. That's that's using the universe to add emotional weight to the story. Although I, I still like strongly feel that Tony Stark should have had a 20-foot golden statue division somewhere on the compound. <laughs> that was his, his robot son. That was his robot child <laughs> who died. And all he talks about is Spider-Man. That was his helmet. That used to be your robot butler, and then he was your robot baby boy, and you you let him die twice. I on love the your three thousand vision. Oh, how three thousand and one. How sad must that be? Like all the shit that gets laid on Tony when he gets home, and then they tell him his house died. Oh! <laughs> so when we make a clickbait title for this episode, it's going to be Tony Stark doesn't care about robot lives. <laughs> I mean, it's true. He enslaved Karen in that helmet. (laughs) And I guess as long as we're talking about Tony Stark, I think we all had to figure the guy was going out at the end of this movie. Still, uh, they did a a nice send-off. There's a lot of ways they could have made that anticlimactic. They could have... Hell, I mean, we all had high expectations. It was going to be tough for them to be able to meet those. But pretty good send-off, I would say. I I don't know if I am Iron Man is necessarily the best way to recount, uh, rebuff someone saying I am inevitable, but it gets the point across. That's good. It was a good final line. Yeah, I think that was interesting, both as a callback and just kind of as a character statement, because I've been rewatching the Marvel movies in preparation for this, the the movie, not the podcast. I I don't care about that much, but... One thing I've really picked up on, right, rewatching the Iron Man movies, even Iron Man 2, is like the refrain of I am Iron Man does mean something in the context of those movies. Like the idea that Iron Man is a greater ideal that Tony's reaching for. Like he, in a way, that's him saying, I'm Superman. Not because yeah. I was born this way, but because I am bettering myself. I am the Iron Man. I did like how it, I mean, obviously Iron Man 1 ends with him throwing that line out there. So it's a great way to close uh, Endgame. But I like the difference in the way they're said. It's it's kind of flippant and casual, and it's him being abrasive. In the end of Iron Man 1, like, oh, they don't want me to say this, so screw you. I'm going to tell the media I'm Iron Man. And in this one, it's like a solemn proclamation against Thanos as he's trying to destroy the world. <laughs> It's an interesting evolution, and the way he says it, too, is there's the pause, I, and then, you know, has that, all that importance behind it, I'm Iron Man. It's not just thrown out. It's, it's, it's a nice little evolution of a simple phrase. Yeah, it's, it's just a nice fuck you to authority thing. Like, again, like, recon, re, putting it in a different context than it was at the, the end of the first movie. He's basically saying, yeah, you're a god, but I'm the perfect man, and I just fucking beat you. Like, yeah. That is awesome. 
Also, I going back to Tony's death, I'm fascinated by the parallel between Tony's death and Thanos' death at the beginning of the movie. Because they're very thematically similar. They're both two people just going, yeah, I'm dying to, in my mind, save the universe. And I'm just going to sit here and just kind of let it happen. But those two deaths mean completely different things. That's really interesting. The the thing that really grabs me about Tony's death, too, is... Spoilers, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Um... While it's melancholy, you don't really walk away devastated by as a as, as it's like a, a shock death as you're as you're pining like no no you know don't you know don't kill this character or anything like that. Um, which at this point it's kind of already happened in the film anyway. But it, it, the way it's done is such a perfect closing of Tony's arc, even though he's dying. But you do at least know that he, he got the, the happy ending before this moment. But everything he's fought for of what he's been trying to do. And I like how they had, when they when he, when he met Howard in Endgame, you get the reaffirmation of what Iron Man is to Tony. And what Tony's been trying to do, which is just be less about himself and fix everything that's wrong. And that's really what Iron Man's about. It's just trying to fix things that are wrong. So when he gets to declare that and gets to die for that, it's it's like what Pepper Pepper says, like you can you can rest now. Like you've done the ultimate at this point. Like you can't actually go any further. So it, it feels like a, a even though it's it's a death, so it's melancholy, it's sad, a watershed moment right now in cinema, because unlike a comic, that character's gone. But you walk away feeling a little bit triumphant because it's such a perfect ending. It's kind of, it's like a, it's like uh, the ending of Logan in, in that regard where this is how it's supposed to be. Oh yeah, very much so. That's something that's been interesting about apologies. There's a jackass just running back and forth on a four wheeler in my road. <laughs> but that's something that's been fascinating about seeing people's reaction to that Tony's death is, like you said, it it doesn't feel tragic. It feels earned. Like, it's not like the ending of Infinity War, people walked out feeling emotionally devastated. Almost, it feels like a weight has been lifted. After that first hour, it'd be a real bummer if they were like, what if we doubled down? The first hour is real sad, middle hour is not sad, and then the third hour is real sad. (laughs) And uh, like you said, uh, that's the amazing thing about movies over comic books like we will never see robert downey jr as iron man again and it's something that everyone has known was going to happen so it it feels like such a completing the circle moment i thought it was really interesting that when asked uh, marcus and mcfeely said there was never any mandate to kill tony stark that was nothing they were ever told to do but it's Endgame, we have to kill Tony Stark. Like, that was the most thematically inevitable thing in the world. Like, it would it would almost be weird and perverse if they didn't do that. Yeah. And it made me realize, because it's so thematically perfect, how wrong it would have actually been to kill Cap. Because you get the, the two opposites of the, of the MCU at this point are Iron Man and Cap. And they get the polar opposite endings. But 
they're both equally perfect, even if one's tragic. Tony gets to sacrifice himself. He gets to finally fulfill what he's kind of always been striving to do. You know, he gets to do the thing Cap does. And Cap gets to gets to say, I, I can ha I'm gonna go have a life now. He gets to do something just for himself, and that's his happy ending. Which is a an interesting, I think, uh thematic story Marvel told with those characters, because they're both polar opposite, but they're both equally heroic and equally something to look up to or strive to be. But their endings go in two different directions. Like, they both don't sacrifice themselves for the greater good. One does, and the other goes, I'm just going to go be happy and stop fighting the good fight now. And both are seen on equal grounds as character endings. Yeah, it's and it's perfect closure, perfect symmetry. Like, this movie is closure porn at a certain point. Oh, yeah. Like, one of the things I'm so glad that the writers and the Russos picked up on that's I didn't realize was such a big deal with Iron Man uh, until rewatching the films, which is every single Iron Man story, even in the movies he that, that don't bear his name are about fatherhood. They're all in some way or another, a Howard Stark story as well as a Tony Stark story. So it, it was so immensely satisfying to see that be the note they end on. Not only the re final resolution with uh, Tony Stark finally being able to say goodbye to his father, but just seeing Tony be a father. Like, there's something so beautiful about seeing, like thinking back to where Tony began in the first film with his douchebag, like little cyber house by the sea with all of his things and his ladies, and then see where he is in this movie, just in a cabin in the woods with his wife and daughter, just playing in a tent. I really like the touch of putting him in a cabin on a lake just for the symmetry with his um his house right right on the ocean in the in the first Iron Man. Now that it's all woodsy, so <clears throat> Tony Stark's big technology aesthetic is is thrown right out the window. Now he is still building the rescue armor for Pepper. I assume to kill him if he ever went rogue, <laughs> <laughs> or his armor ever just goes rogue case. and tries to fuck her, because that's a thing that happened once. <laughs> they got over it. They're better now. And, I like to think it, he's keeping armor around just in case he has to kill Justin Hammer someday. <laughs> <laughs> you never know where he's lurking. Um, and like you said, it, it's the attention to, I think, um, character arcs over the course of all of these films being paid off one way or another is something you don't often see achieved in such a, a deftly handed way. Like, this is a three hour movie that feels very breathy like it's doesn't feel three hours at all i've never seen a three hour film that just kind of breezes by um but it's able to do the laundry list of about a thousand different things it has to accomplish before credits roll it has to finish off 22 movies it has to close out various characters everyone's grown to love it has to finish the story that infinity infinity war started it has to have um, an epic finale worthy of that story, um, along it with has many to other explain things. Explain that weird little continuity issue with Tony getting surgery at the end of Iron Man three, but still wearing the arc reactor. I like how the arc reactor still goes out when he dies, even though that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's because... not connected to him at all either. 
Like, because we're just going to fucking ignore that stupid ass plot point. Yeah, he, he the installed... chest, though. They did show us that. That has been resolved. He installed a fail safe in case he wanted to die dramatically. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, I, um... I just want to say Tony Stark pulling off his arc reactor and giving it to Steve is such an incredible image. Uh, th- this um, this uh, movie is essentially like splash page porn. I know. That's all it is. Uh, just dramatic, like, final panels and issues. It's, it's fucking spectacular. It's, all, it's like it's all written by Roy Thomas. For all the um, people that complain about uh, Civil War's big splash page image of, like, five people running at each other, I guess there's your answer. We've got Endgame now where there's about 5,000 people just charging at each other on screen. Yeah, I guess they're just going to blow their brains out. <laughs> But it's balanced out by such a refreshing focus on characters in the first act. Like one of the things that really struck me was like there are so many callbacks to characters and to scenes and memories, but there's tonal callbacks as well. Like the entire first act of this movie up until they get to uh, Thanos's fuck shack. Is it feels like Marvel returning to its Indian-influenced roots that they began Phase 1 with, with an emphasis on really long, dialogue-driven character scenes, which we kind of haven't seen for, for a while. Like, even the other Russo Brothers stuff, like Winter Soldier and Civil War, is very fast-paced, very peppy, very quick-cutty. This felt very Iron Man and Incredible Hulk in places. Yeah. And it was nice to see that aesthetic return for the last big goo. The, the film definitely was allowed to take its time. The amount, of, uh, the amount of bits in this flick where characters just discuss stuff is incredible considering what it has to do and what the plot is. Like Black Widow and Hawkeye discussing who's going to die. Like they just have a conversation before the before they fight each other. Oh, Red Skull floats away hilariously. <laughs> you Spooky space poop. Like people discuss their actions and what's going on in their head and what needs to be done. And you you don't really see that very often with something on this scale. Like Infinity War didn't have much in the way of dialogue or anything. It was very much just a kind of an action movie. Um, I'm not knocking that in any way. Um, Infinity War is a fucking miracle. But Endgame, you'd think, would ramp up the uh, we need to move, we need to move, we need to move. And instead, it slowed things down. Its scale went up, but at the same time, it descaled. Also, since um, I mentioned it, I did not expect Black Widow to die, and I'm still very sad. Oh, that was a surprise. Uh, I think they had us all suckered because they announced, oh, there's a Black Widow movie coming out. And I just assumed like, oh, yeah, definitely <laughs> no chance of her dying because it seems like a weird choice, even as a prequel to make a film for a dead character. Yeah. So well played, Marvel. Um, and I'm shocked that Hawkeye was originally the one in that scene because, A, that seems to movie or story. Where, by the simple action of putting Widow in there as the one to sacrifice herself, ends up completing an arc you weren't completely aware she was having. And that's fucking brilliant. I love how... Dead Black Widow is. (laughs) I love... I just love the weird... Like, the fact that we've gotten 
two shots of dead as fuck female Marvel heroes with just blood coming out of the back of their heads on that goddamn rune. <laughs> that yeah, red skull's house. There. Formir is not a good place to be. I didn't even see a hotel there. I don't know where the red skull's staying. Just, he just floats. If you don't have an ass, you don't have to sit down. True. It's true he just closes his eyes and sleeps where he's floating. Let's not get what back on Red Skull. the ghost of the existence he has. Uh, uh, it would have been, in retrospect, kind of fucked up if they had Hawkeye bring his family back, but he was too dead to care. <laughs> You're measuring I mean, stick. I, I, I get the fact that they want to keep Hawkeye alive because he has family. Uh, I don't know if they're going to keep using Hawkeye in movies because his arc has been, hey, I really just want to retire. and People keep dragging me back into their giant conflicts. Well, the Disney Plus show is all going to be about him training Kate Bishop, so he's going to be handing that off. True. I was—I mean, I'm just surprised because I'd never heard Scarlett Johansson talk about wanting to be done with the show, and she had that movie coming up. Exactly, so that yeah, was really so, shocking. Uh, it was—it was a bold move, I'll say that much. Uh, then again, it's also the Marvel universe. Even though people seem like they're really, truly, truly dead, you got to wonder. I mean, we do technically have Gamora back through time shenanigans. Yeah, we've got... But which Gamora? Although, was she in the ship at the end of the movie with Quill no. and everyone else? No, I she was searching her. for her. Yeah, seems like that's going to be the plot of Guardians 3 is searching for Gamora. Time-displaced I, Gamora. I like how I was fucking right, but like through some weird backwards logic that... Guardians 3 is going to be the search for Spock, but with Gamora. <laughs> like, I thought it was going to be some kind of mystical quest to, like, get inside of the stone, the soul stone to pull her out. But it's being used by Adam Warlock, the villain of the movie. But no, it's literally them searching for Gamora. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really curious. I, I feel like they're not going... With the time displays Gamora running around, I don't see them... I mean, maybe they'll let... They'll leave... Uh, prime Gamora, I guess we'll call her dead. I have a hard time seeing them leaving Black Widow dead at this point permanently. I mean, we know there's going to be Black Widow prequel movies. That's what half of that thing is so shocking is clearly Johansson wasn't ending her contract or anything with Marvel. Clearly re-upped it for Black Widow movies or whatever, so that's what made it more surprising. And she's box office gold still. Yeah. She survived Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> that would have killed any other actress. I think she's the Hulk. Plus, and we know Marvel does like their resurrections. They, they've killed Loki like 18 times now and found new ways for him to be back, even if he's just in a split-off timeline now. I think that's how they're going to play that one. Dead main timeline out there wrecking shit somewhere in an alternate universe. I, I feel like a lot of these guys, except for maybe Tony and Steve... Well, hell, Steve, if they want, they can do old man Rogers. Yeah, they could. And, you know, if if Evans got to ha- got a hair up his ass and wanted to return for any reason, even for a one-off oh, time travel shenanigans, back. you know, whatever. Yeah. And, I I mean, something in my head tells me, who knows, maybe in like 10, 20 years, we'll, we'll get an old man Robert Downey Jr. appearing in one of these things in a weird reboot kind of deal. Oh, he's Earth X, Tony Stark, so he has the big Howard Hughes beard. <laughs> yeah, I could, I, I, I just have my doubts in the back of my head that these guys are all truly done with Marvel forever, even if it's just cameos or something like that. Like, could you imagine if they ever just decided to wholesale reboot the Marvel Universe in 15 years? Like, you, you could probably see Robert Downey Jr. becoming the new Stan Lee and just cameoing in every film just for fun. Just being CGI'd onto things. 
<laughs> but uh, going back to the death for a second, I am so impressed by the major league sleight of hand that that screenplay pulls in giving Hawkeye the most over the top. This character is going to die subplot I've ever seen <laughs> and then reversing it. Well, even the, the cinematic language they use, like the slow down shot, Hawkeye kind of giving the little head nods, he's jumping off the cliff. They sell it. They really sell that Hawkeye is going to totally die. And then they, they kind of flip and flop it three more times on the way down that cliff. And there's there's something so beautiful about the fact that what makes Natasha's death so heroic is she's giving him the chance to redeem himself that he once gave her. Like that that is so perfect and such a a beautiful way uh, for for I keep I too keep wanting to call her Scarlet Witch. God damn it! I know it's infectious. Uh, it's, so yeah, it's like switch actresses or something just to make this easier. <laughs> That's why they're killing people off. <laughs> That's why she had to go. That was it. <laughs> no more Scarlets. Let's keep writing the, down the wrong name on the fucking call sheet. <laughs> we gotta make this easier <laughs> for us. Like, hey, look, McFeely, we, I can't have this anymore. It's too much. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that that was something they did agonize over. Like, it was refreshing to like read an interview with Marcus and McFeely where they were totally aware that they were killing off a male, a female character in order to save a, another male character. And that was something that they really pondered on until yeah. I think it was like a production designer or something read the script and said, no, you absolutely have to do this. It's like, if you do it the other way, you're actually wounding the character of Black Widow more than if you killed her. Like, yeah, you're, you would just be making her a bystander. Yeah. I still, I, I do expect to see a lot of really bad thing pieces on that over. Oh, the next I'm year. sure. Uh, I am sure that was my first thought when that happened. Like, oh, I don't want to see Twitter tomorrow. I mean, last year the whole thing was Star Lord is the real villain of Infinity War. <laughs> so I can't wait to see what people pick up on this time. Like, I, once the gloves are off and the whole internet can just be spoilers for uh, Endgame, we're going to see some funky stuff. You know, reading that interview with Marcus McFeely, I was really surprised with how cognizant of they were of many different things they did throughout the movie. Uh, both, it was refreshing to see them be aware of what they were doing with Black Widow, um, and realize that you know they were actually accidentally doing that thing with Black Widow by not killing her, which is a weird. Uh, There's weird, no way out. Weird thing to back yourself into, but all the um, arguably Endgame has a lot of uh, what some might call fan service, um, <laughs> and. I I would say not just some. I, I think this whole movie is exclusively built it on is it. Is 90% fan service. Um, but, but it is an odd situation where I am perfectly okay with that. Yeah, uh, that, that's a, that's the thing is they said that they had a they struggled a lot with including certain things because they would be fan service and worried, you know, what's fan service, what's not. But for most of it, save for a couple things that's just like fuck it, it's fun. Um, that's just what people want. Some stuff just logic, like it's fan service because fans want it because it's what logically needs to happen. Yeah, like, there's no other way to end Captain America's story than him getting his goddamn dance with Peggy Carter. Yeah, like that's fan service, and that's something to make the audience squeal with delight. But also, you would be a bad writer if you didn't do that. Like you're not going to pull on that thread one last time. I mean, this is this is an entirely different conversation that would probably go for hours. But 
boy, this is, like I said, one of the few cases where I'm perfectly happy with this being 90% fan servicey. Just, I'm thinking of stuff, all the comments I've made in the past about how sick of fan service I am in the Star Wars series or other big franchises like that. But yet, when it comes to Marvel, if their last film in this supposed decade long series didn't do that, I'd be very confused and a little, little angry. It would imagine be so. If they, imagine if they did Return of the Jedi and you didn't see the Millennium Falcon. I mean, sometimes it's, you just got to give the people what they want. It would be very blue ballsy if Endgame wasn't filled with fan service. Like that's kind of the even finding out they that um they originally didn't go back to the first Avengers film, which yeah, I mean as a as a time location is very fan servicey. But honestly, you're you're making things more complicated by not doing that. Like the story kind of feels like you need to go to that particular movie, both to be continued the celebration of this uh, first era of the MCU that Endgame very much is, which is impressive. Um, but also just logically, this is like the most important event in these people's lives up in, you know, at that point. Of, of course, that's where they, they reconvene and go back to. Also, it's just fascinating from a practical standpoint to see what immediately happened after that iconic uh, double page spread shot of the Avengers like oh yeah they would have had to then slowly leave the building and meet the <laughs> Hulk would have to use the stairs <laughs> the, I love seeing classic dumb Hulk one last time <laughs> Hulk hates stairs I can see why he's so angry though it's not fair that Hulk has to take stairs here's the question why didn't the Hulk just jump down the fucking building uh, he was explicitly told stairs so he was grumpy and just doing it and they're science bros, so we had to do it. That's true. <laughs> also, I love lackadaisical Hulk smash. <laughs> uh, uh, just, just, the just the perfect callback of Cap going, oh, yeah, I should probably smash. Because <laughs> people are going to think this is unusual move. if they see Hulk not breaking things. <laughs> I love how Cap is the one who gets like the most callbacks, arguably, like in the most like obvious way. Cap gets to address his status as a sex symbol and also make fun of that costume. <laughs> Chris Evans must have been so happy he got to make fun of that costume and fought fun. the costume. <laughs> fun fact, it was just a clone, so they got to see his actual ass in that suit, so he's able to comment on the real thing. It's amazing what a $400 million budget will get you these days. Also, I think we'd be remiss without bringing up Hail Hydra. <laughs> Canon. I love, first of all, I fucking love that we finally know what the hell the Russos called Frank Grillo about last year. <laughs> That's been fucking in the air. Like, it's fucking, is there going to be a Crossbones movie? What are we talking about? I love this movie's recontextualization of, like, even stuff from the comics people don't like. Like, I, I really loved, and I have no idea how much this was like in their heads, or if this is just purely a coincidence, the subtle recreation of the opening of Civil War II with uh, Captain Marvel leading the Avengers on a big, angry revenge mission against Thanos, who is just sitting there doing nothing. And then whenever they attack him, it's just petty and pathetic and not satisfying at all. Like, that's a horrible moment in that comic that does not work at all, but it works so well as the opening to this movie. 
Wow, you know, that did not fucking occur to me, but yeah, that parallel's pretty big. Yeah, it, it's hard to believe it wasn't intentional, especially with uh, Captain Marvel leading the charge for that particular moment. Is it awkward for anybody else that we don't really get to see Captain Marvel meet anybody and we just kind of gloss over that and then jump ahead five years? Yeah. Like, that was it, weird. It makes, it makes a lot more sense uh, finding out that they just hadn't filmed Captain Marvel that at that point, so they didn't want to jump ahead uh, too much and put to, too much on Larson. But I yeah, it was weird. Next God, there was... There, there was a scene that they put out before the movie came out, just showing them looking at the pager and realizing that she had arrived. I could have. Yeah, that was sworn. the Captain Marvel after credit scene. No, 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 not just like finding the pager on the ground, like an. No, 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 that's the that's the Captain Marvel after credit scene. Is them looking at the pager and then oh, she oh, shows oh, up. Oh, oh, gotcha. Okay, I got you now. For a second, I'm like, no, Mike, no, not not. I know the <laughs> Captain Marvel scene. I'm talking the Captain Marvel scene. <laughs> You know, I'm drunk. the Captain Marvel scene. <laughs> we just go back and forth saying that for an hour. <laughs> it is weird to think, like, knowing what we know now, the the ending of Infinity War is just a commercial for the Captain Marvel movie that was coming out next year. Like, we just really the, have to make for sure people know this is important. And then the, it's just weird because it's so much set up for Captain Marvel being the secret weapon. And then she's just not endgame, and you don't get to see her meet anybody. Like, the the Captain Marvel end credit scene isn't in endgame. And I, and I get that it's supposed to be focused on the original Avengers um, and, and a few of the other characters, but mostly them. So there's no real room for Captain Marvel, and putting her there would be making it a very different movie, especially with how powerful she is. But you accidentally made shit really awkward storytelling wise where you're kind of like she's sort of more of a red herring for making you think the plot's going to be about captain marvel and no she still gets great moments but she still still does get to come in like the goddamn cavalry at the end and pretty much beat thanos to a standstill yeah so we we do at least get that moment we we got to see captain marvel versus thanos (laughs) thing i'd never thought i'd see in a movie She's in full binary mode. That moment where the, all the ship's fucking uh, targeting systems just to go up into the sky is so fucking glorious. I, I want to know, was there a split second where you were thinking, are they just going to do the Age of Voltron thing and have Nick Fury show up with a helicarrier? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little surprised that wasn't in the end battle. Although I suppose then you have to get Nick Fury and be like, okay, we picked you up in New York, but now we have to drop you off at your secret shuttle area. Ah, uh, you gotta feel that thing up. Uh, can you can you be there in twenty? No. Okay, the battle will be done then. And Coulson can't get you one because he's dead. I'm gonna say it's weird they go back to Avengers time. They don't find a way to have a cameo for Coulson, the original guy being avenged. That was shocking. Steve just walks in on surgery. They're giving Coulson the blood of a Cree while he screams, "Let me die!" And he just backs <laughs> the hell out. Actually, nope, 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 nope. There's there's more to say. But I think ending on a joke about Coulson being forced to live <laughs> might be the best way to end. <laughs> I, I, do, episode. I will say, I, I've been racking my head out about, you know, Infinity War, you kind of, what the theme of Infinity War is, especially in regards to the larger MCU, is pretty clear. I've been kind of racking my head about Endgame to a degree. Because it's hard for Endgame to nail down, like, a theme, because it's it, it's not, it's like 
half a part two and half uh, a standalone movie in in a many in many ways. But the more I think about it, the more Endgame encapsulates and reiterates so much of what the MCU has been trying to say, and it's so much about what the Marvel Universe often says, because it's it's made the fact that they failed in Infinity War more powerful to me and, and a more interesting story with how Endgame plays out because it shows that the that the Marvel Universe and, and the stories that they're trying to tell are ultimately about and Thor shows this very clearly is about failing but still going and Endgame shows that in an epic scale but on a micro level that's what it is just they failed completely 100%, but they just keep going. And that's what the, the heroism of the Marvel Universe, both in the comics and in the MCU, um, is about. It's all the, all the superpowers, all the superheroics, all that. What, the Marvel, what Marvel storytelling has always been about is the people and fortitude to be a hero. It's what Stan always said. Anybody with the want to do right can be a hero and the want to do better. And Endgame, by being this two-part story where, you know, on a cosmic level, you know, half of everyone dies and the Avengers don't stop until they can right that wrong, even if they die in the process, is what the Marvel Universe is. Very much so. Like, there's something so genuinely stirring and inspiring about seeing the impossible achieved over such cosmically overwhelming odds like uh, we're we're so used to seeing scenes of heroism and superhero fiction over the years it's it's rare when you get something that actually strikes you like that and makes you makes you feel like a small child going oh, you can do everything <laughs> and this movie really delivers on that yeah, and and like I said earlier, that's it's not just making a ton of money because you know it's the the culmination of the MCU and it's this big blockbuster. What you know those themes we we just mentioned. Everything is horrible right now. Once again, like I can look who's in office right now and just all the bad shit that's happening. And everyone who may be being a little bit like, mm, who cares that the Avengers are making a lot of money? It's just a big fucking superhero people in tight shit. To me, that's like hopeful. Like the fact I'm in a theater where people are cheering and going nuts for, for these ridiculous characters and the shit they're doing and, and cheering when Thanos is defeated is that's, that's what storytelling can bring you and it can bring you hope in fucking horrible dark times. And the MCU at this point is more important than just some really fun popcorn movies. It it can also be that, but it's also more to the the larger realm of the world we live in right now. It's it's hopeful to people and not just kids, just anybody. And seeing it be so mega popular, um, and seeing the fact it's going to influence a generation of people that come and people have literally grown up with these movies um, makes me feel good. Honestly, like there is something positive. There is a, a, a lightning rod, a pillar throughout these times that, that can, that can stand 
against, you know, uh, just a lot of bad right now. A lot of orangey, <laughs> orangey, balding bad. Yeah, I cannot wait to meet the adults who grew up being inspired and moved by these movies. And I cannot wait to see what art they create. I think of how much these characters and these stories meant to us when we were small children, how much that shaped who we are today, and then magnify that by 10,000. I I cannot wait to see uh, the brave new world that comes from, from this stuff. On a less optimistic note, Vision died twice for our sins and no statue. (laughs) If you really want to get sad, Cody, technically he was probably in the Avengers compound when it exploded. (laughs) Just his corpse laying in there. He came back to life just long enough to die. (laughs) I mean, he never got snapped. His brains got pulled out. You know what's really sad? They had the option of just keeping the soul stone and just making Vision alive again, but that was a decision they had to make. No. Yeah, wait a minute. You have to give it back to the Nazi. Yeah, hold up. I have changed my mind, Marvel. I no longer enjoy your movie. <laughs> they, they had, had to, to put it back. Vision the... had to die so the universe could live. They had to put it back in the right time. Otherwise, their weird, kind of not logical, but logical time travel nonsense can make sense. Mike, I'm going to stop you before we start talking about time travel and how it works uh, in this movie. Because we're going to have to do another part. To stay at some point, we're going to have to do a part two just on the fucking time travel. I swear to God. Not tonight. I'm I'm pulling the plug, folks. Don't Not worry. Tonight. I'll help you. But I I I want to do. I want to figure this shit out. It is our solemn duty as box office pulp to always nonsensically discuss time travel and fake stories. Somehow we will determine how the hell Cap ended up in the same timeline with a brand new shield. It doesn't work. It does. Okay, I'm I'm calling it. I'm getting mad. Getting time angry. Technically, he made <laughs> folks, out with his own great this, niece. This, uh, boy. Folks, this has been Box Office Pulp. If you've enjoyed this show, you can find more of it and actually lots of us arguing about time travel on our very own website, www.boxofficepulp.com. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Twitter, plus Facebook, just by searching Box Office Pulp. Thank you very much. That's a wrap. Get the hell out of here. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show.